Hi, and welcome to Showcast. In this special episode, we're going to be talking about learning the essentials in Notch. I'm joined by designer and former Notch Essentials student, Ollie Venning, and senior Notch trainer, Armin Kozlowskis. Ollie is an experienced motion graphics and 3D designer with a client base which includes Adidas, Lego and Lumia Light Festival. After attending Notch Essentials training earlier this year, Ollie's recapped what he's learnt via the newly available online Essentials course. Today, we're going to be sharing our experiences of learning new software. This episode is filled with helpful tips for anyone looking to expand their toolset. Join us as we talk about hotkeys, experimenting as much as possible, and creating irresponsibly. I'm Kat Kemsley, and you're listening to The Notch Showcast. Hi, Ollie, and hi, Armin. Welcome to Showcast. Hello again. Hey, hello. So today's a special episode. There's three of us for one, which is very exciting. And we are all speaking remotely in the safety of our own homes um, during coronavirus. Um, And we're going to be talking about learning and education and the Notch Essentials course, which is newly available online as an e-learning course. So... Armin is the face of our course and Ollie is a former student of ours who came to training, was it, um, it's a couple of months ago now, September, yeah. and has also uh, brushed up on his knowledge using the online course that's just come out. I'd like to kick things off a little bit by just discussing your backgrounds a bit, what kind of design you're into, what worlds you come from. Um, Ollie, you're our guest, you go ahead first. Okay, sure. Um, So I've been doing this since about 2000. So uh, yeah, a couple of decades now. And I've been through a a fair few different bits of industry. Mostly it's revolved around uh, 3D animation and motion design. I've worked as a uh, 3D visualizer for scientific visualizations for about five years. Um, Kind of cut my teeth with a lot of VFX stuff during that time. And kind of moved more into motion graphics and design for live events and visitor attractions. That's kind of been what I've been doing for the last three, four years, really. Amazing. And you've worked with some really high-end clients, I noticed. You've worked with uh, Lego and you've kind of also done projection mapped projects onto the Barbican and various notable buildings in London. Yeah, lots of lots of projection mapping. That's that's one thing that I, that I really like, enjoy doing. Um, some arts commissions as well. Um, we managed to project onto the Berlin TV Tower for the Festival of Light. That was really great. Um, the Ogden Physics Centre, which is an extraordinarily weird and very cool building. And yeah, some, some, some great companies like Lego, which was an attraction thing for uh, Lego World. Interactive kind of things set up with a connect. So when people got bored in the queue, they could walk past and it kind of turned their body into little bits of Lego, things like that. So, um, so part, of, part of my remit and part of the stuff I've done in the last few years is also working with the interaction side um, for sort of theme park attractions and stuff like that. So one of my many interests is uh, interaction design as well. And how, how did you get into that? Well, I was kind of, I went through the VJ world for quite a while. I was, I was working as a VJ and um, a lot of my mates were, we were running clubs in London. A lot of my mates are DJs. Um, I can't mix. 
So I decided to do visuals instead. Now, I mean, I was doing visuals anyway. I was doing visuals in my bedroom and it seemed like a good way to get them out. And I was working with my mates. And so they used to DJ, I used to do visuals sort of live with them in the, you know, the club nights. And then through that, I ended up uh, meeting some meeting some guys called the Sancho Plan. And the Sancho Plan were a really interesting bunch. They were taking it a step further. They were basically um, live musicians. And when they played, they played character animations, but real tight, synced character animation. Um, there was quite a famous one, well, well-known one that went around, Tokyo Plastic. Mm-hmm. You seen it? Yeah. So that was that was Sancho Plan. I joined them after that and sort of I did three or four pieces with them, ended up being their lead designer. And we did a few installations into places like Ars Electronica and the Tate. Um, so kind of all on the art side of it. And then from that, that kind of, I guess, really inspired me to to look at doing more interaction stuff generally. Thanks, Holly. And uh, Armin, it's your, it's your time to uh, introduce yourself. Well, uh, I, I graduated as a... Uh graphic designer but quickly realized that that's absolutely boring like i'm not saying it's a, it's a bad profession it's a it's amazing what people can do but sitting from nine to five in the office just didn't prove uh, as a good path for me so uh i started experimenting with the vjing and i got into that uh, why friends just like holly so i literally started to hang out with the crew that played live electronic music and they said well we need a vj i was like that's uh, that's absolutely not interesting they said well you should give it a spin man it's not that bad and i, I grabbed my first uh, piece of, of vj software and actually it was quite fun quickly i realized that it's not enough to to mix visuals although it, it gives you a lot of flexibility but knowing how to make visuals uh, it's a whole other game it's a whole another world so i started to learn uh, 2d and 3d and all of a sudden I was doing my own things. So that was quickly going to a point where this was becoming my, not only passion, but uh, a, a daytime job, so to say. So I got noticed by a couple of uh, lighting designers who are around traveling with bands and such. And they said, well, you suck, but there's potential for you to be better. So I was like, all right, <laughs> teach me then. <laughs> so I joined a whole uh, band uh, circuit, the uh, touring and all that, a bit of uh, VJing for DJs, because obviously that's a, a path of righteousness for any VJ. You, you <laughs> have to be affiliated to one or the other DJ. And there's, there's abundance here in Scandinavia of, of uh, people playing electronic music. Um, after that, at some point, some uh, TV uh, lighting designers or, or head of uh, one of the TV stations here in Norway, where I am, noticed me and he said, well, you suck but there's potential <laughs> so I said, well, teach me then so i joined some tv productions it was great fun uh then i joined one of the companies here in oslo called uh, mediatech they're part of uh, ct creative technologies uh, i spent several years there doing some creative stuff for bands and artists and i was uh, introduced to the corporate side of the of the AV, which I actually liked as well, because it's very structured, it's very high-paced. So it was a good school on how to do right things in the right tempo. So uh, naturally, when you are cornered in a position where you need to deliver fast and good, you, you, you try to find a tool that would help you out with that. So I went through quite a few of them. I'm talking about real time. Uh, obviously, there are some solutions out there. Uh, I found my favorite, uh, and it happened to be Notch. Uh, so I started my journey as a as a user, and uh, after a, a good while using it, I, I came to a uh, team as a product specialist. It was a very natural and and fun progression. Amazing! What a journey. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. No complaints at all. 
Uh, so we've established that you both have incredibly broad and diverse backgrounds working on different types of canvases for different types of productions, a lot of real time um, working within the VJ scene. What kind of 3D design are you most drawn to? Like what is most dear to you when it comes to this type of, of designing? Go on, Oli, you should start. Um, okay, <laughs> well, okay, so that's um, definitely a tough question. I, I very much enjoy the kind of visual effects side of things. So I, I enjoy kind of particle systems and dynamics and things like this. And I think partly it's about creating things that you that you can't normally do. So in a similar way that, you know, I remember, you remember all those kind of like uh, 70s, were they 70s or maybe 80s kind of amazing airbrush pictures of cars and motorbikes and stuff, like almost because it was that strive to be photorealistic, right? And I always kind of thought, well, you know, if you've got that kind of skill, you can make something so photorealistic, then why don't you do it out of something that's not real? Why don't you make a motorbike out of jelly or, or whatever? And it's the same kind of thing with 3D. I like the fact that you can, you can bend the rules of physics and you can, you can break stuff. You can, you can do stuff that's not real. So it's a bit of fantasy, a bit of escapism, I guess, in a way. That's probably why I like doing the particle stuff and all that kind of thing. And also, you know, I like the lighting and rendering side. I like making things look real, but also unreal, sort of breaking those rules. And, and ultimately, um, you know, whether it's a film or a video game, I like to be immersed. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. Something really simple can be immersive. Amazing. Capturing that um, imagination as well. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Armin? Yeah, well, uh, there is no no one favorite thing in in this uh, motion graphics world. But uh, to be honest, when I was quite younger, I was into bands and I was playing in quite several. And our goal was always to evoke some kind of a feeling towards what we're doing. It's not necessarily to create the the nicest musical piece, but to provoke a person to be angry, happy, or whatnot. And to be honest, music is the biggest driver for me. So I can listen to a track and any variety of 3D or 2D techniques or ideas or whatever can pop up and, and mix and blend together. So later on in my life, I learned that there's such thing as synesthesia where, you know, quickly try to recap what that thing is. It's not a condition, but it's kind of like, a, well, I would call it a superpower. I don't know if I have it. I'd like to believe I have a bit of it. It's when you hear a sound and you see some kind of a shape or color, or you can, uh, let's say, smell a sound. So it's a bit of a mix of uh, emotions. They're intertwining. Uh, a good example that I, I read and actually laughed, if you ever wondered how a static TV uh, tastes, it's literally sparkling water. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says a lot. And that's exactly how, how I like my visuals and how I go about it. I, I just hear, the, hear a piece of music and it's all of a sudden, is it round? Is it square? Is it jittered? Is it uh, fluent? And things starts to pop up. So that's why I work a lot with, with music. It's just so inspiring, to be honest. Well, I've heard with, with live drawing, it's very much about, it's a way of any art form it's a way of communicating the world you see around you or understanding the world you see around you so if if 3d and 3d motion design is the way that you are able to kind of ingest and then communicate out what you're experiencing then that is just the way you see the world 
you touched on a very good point. Basically, uh, at least in the touring industry, uh, art artist's task is to accompany the musician on stage. So literally make an extension of that stage, make that feeling or that underlying idea or that cryptic idea the musician had uh, blossom with the help of a visual impact because that's sort of like a unison. It has to be a unison. So the more you get influenced and, and the more you feel related to that song or that piece or that artist, the better you can actually convey the message that is out there or perhaps add your message or your spin because uh, as in a poetry if an author wrote it in one way it doesn't mean that the reader interpreted it exactly how the writer wrote it no mm-hmm. so it's it's absolutely fantastic and fun world to be involved in so before we get too deep into philosophy of art <laughs> um i'm just gonna redirect our energy because this podcast episode is about learning I know that everyone kind of learns in their own way. Um, For me, like I'm very much like a triple threat for something to go in. I have to see it. I have to hear it. I have to do it. Um, What works for you, Ollie? Yeah, same. I think I I, I definitely respond well to visual to visual stimulus. I find I'll be totally honest. I I get I only read about one or two books a year. You know, like fiction books. My attention span for just print by itself is very very limited, and my mind just starts wandering. I don't think it's just attention span, but also um, I think trying to explain ideas without visual cues for me, I, yeah, I struggle. So video, YouTube, I mean, I remember, you know, I started teaching myself 3D back in the days when um, you didn't have YouTube and you, you had to print stuff off. And, uh, and you'd always get, you'd end up with a massive pile of like 40 pages of print. And then you get to like to near the end and there'd be a page missing. And you realise that the guy that didn't finish the tutorial or something, just be like, what? But um so now you know with, with with video, it's obviously a lot. It's obviously a lot better. A, a lot of what I've learned in three D as well is is from watching YouTube videos. I don't think I've had any like kind of proper formal training apart from the the stuff I did with you guys. I haven't really done much of that kind of classroom training. And how about yourself, Armin? How have you learnt the softwares and tools that you you have? Well, I can just uh, I can just agree with Ollie because that's literally how you you learned these tutorials. We are in a visual industry. Obviously, reading about something is is a bit harder, especially if a page is missing. So yeah, visually learning is is great. If anything, learn how to uh, how to influence yourself or how to direct yourself to the best way of. Uh, of learning yourself. So if it's visual, great, go with that. If it's reading, well, follow that then. So I, as Ollie, we are both very visual in, in learning. And Ollie, you mentioned that the Notch Essential course that you came to in London, that was kind of your first experience with doing an in-person mm-hmm. training um, in a software. What was the driving force behind coming to Notch training? Well, I think I've gone through a few of the Notch videos. So I got I kind of got my head around it a little bit. I didn't want to just mess around with the demo and not be able to kind of save my progress. I wanted to, you know, to get the the PLE. So the two things just kind of went hand in hand, really, with that. And, you know, I do believe that training where you've actually got an instructor can be better than just video training. But pros and cons to both. But um, being able to ask questions, having having other students around you, all those kind of things, you know. Nice. And Armin, could you give us a really brief overview of the Notch Essentials course? What can someone expect to learn? Well, the whole idea of Notch Essentials is that uh, you are perhaps in the motion graphics or maybe you're art director. Well, you can be anyone in the industry 
for, for live performing or just generally in, interested in motion graphics. And you can come to that course and uh, get to know the, the basics of how Notch uh, works and, and what can it do. So obviously, eight-hour course, a one-day course cannot reveal you all the tricks and all the tools in the box, but it gives you a good understanding on how the logics in the tool works. So you get a good grip of that. And we discussed that we both are visual learners. So the whole course is based on, on visual learning. So every topic uh, is uh, split into chapters. So if it's lighting, if it's the UI, if it's the materials or it's the 3D objects. So basically, first of all, a person is shown the finished workshop. And then the goal is to recreate that by adding steps uh, Throughout the, throughout the time the person is watching a video, if it's online or if it's on location, we just sort of build that together. And then gradually you get from, from zero state to the state that was pre-planned, premeditated. And that whole premeditated thing is, is split into little chunks that helps you to progress through the tool and through the different various tool sets that are available there. <laughs> Discussing premeditated just makes me think of murder, but um, yeah, as long as you come out of the course killing it, then that's all right. So um, obviously, and when I've been in your training courses, Armin, you always kind of highlight the fact that anyone, whether they know multiple softwares or are fluent in multiple softwares like yourself, Ollie, or whether they are taking up learning a software for the first time, that it can be a massive time investment to take on learning something completely new. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, time is the most expensive thing that we have. So uh, making that leap of faith to take up a new tool is, is actually an investment. It's, it's all fun to try out something for a day, but it, being sure and making an investment, thinking that you can actually make a living out of it, uh, that requires for you to take it up and use it in the project. Because not everyone has uh, weeks and months for R&D and learning. So my task, the way I see it when I'm giving trainings, whether online or on location, is to make sure that that leap of faith is, is, is in the shortest distance. So basically, if I can manage... To, to convey the idea on how to make a particle system where you can go and explore further in, let's say, half hour or an hour. And moving into a more kind of micro schism of uh, learning softwares and being multilingual in software. Um, one thing that I have always found quite difficult, and I'm wondering if either of you guys have any tips for, is that many softwares seem to have different keyboard shortcuts. <laughs> Um, do you yeah. have any advice on how to navigate this? So I used to use a program called Studio Max, and I've been using that about 20 years. Recently, I say recently, last three years or so, I switched over to Cinema, mostly. Right, But I still have to go back to Studio Max for some clients, some, some people need it, and also some things I still I prefer in Studio Max. And the keyboard shortcuts are different and it's annoyingly it's just subtle enough to to just throw you every time you're kind of panning around the space it just like flips it but luckily there is a way where you can you can tell it to use Myers layout which is very similar to cinema and then you can tweak that again further and i only just discovered how to do that literally about two days ago i was like suffering through it every time i was like having to slap my hand every time i pressed oh i was kind of like you know just hovering over the wrong buttons all the time so yeah, if you can reprogram all your softwares to do the same thing, that is that is my top tip. 
we, we don't yet have that feature in Notch, so, uh, so you'll have to reprogram my advice would everything be else to, to be like reprogram Notch. everything to Notch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, our shortcuts are great, so it's fine. It's, it sounded <laughs> like a, a very subtle uh, dev request there. <laughs> uh, to, to add to this, I, I'd say if you are not using shortcuts, you're missing out a lot. Definitely use shortcuts, because well, Matt put it nicely when he was uh, in general explaining what's Notch in one of the talks that you've given, and I, I've been I've been in the audience. He said, "Well, a musician." takes an instrument and he plays and he doesn't wait half an hour for feedback. He literally hears this music live. Well, motion graphics should be the same way. So you create something and you straight away see a visual impact. So to strengthen this, if you use shortcuts, it's like playing a, a piano keyboard. You literally fasten up your workflow and, and you make it super fluent. So obviously having a unified shortcut system is great. Uh, as Kat mentioned, where we, we don't have that just yet. Well, hopefully it's going to come up. But just to add to the Cinema 4D comment, uh, so my first 3D software was Cinema 4D, and I so got used to the shortcuts there yeah. that when I switched to anything else, I thought, well, this is just not right. This is so uh, extraordinary. Like, this is not how it should be. Later on, I learned when I started to, to sort of poke around other softwares that Cinema 4D, to be honest, is the most outlandish when it comes to camera controls. Literally none <laughs> other software has that kind of camera controls. Uh, yeah, so that was a fun discovery there. <laughs> so when you're learning a new software, how do you gauge the progress of your learning? I think a good way is to is to kind of set, setting yourself little projects, whether they're going to end up being portfolio pieces or just like demos or or just experiments to try new techniques. I think is it's it's always a good idea if you're learning if you if you just follow a tutorial and you just copy what's there, you'll only ever learn to do that. If you take that tutorial and then you twist it a bit and you you know you you make it instead of it's a teapot it's a butterfly or you you know you, you try and push it a little bit further you start then then you start to learn um, and if you're trying you know if it's not just one technique if it's a bunch of techniques or a whole bunch of things I think it's really worth kind of setting yourself a little project and then seeing how far you can get with it and I guess that's your measure of progress is you know how far can you get before you need to get on the forums and start saying can anyone help how do you do this. And with the kind of project that you set yourself, do you find it's easier to pick something that exists, like something that you've seen that you might want to recreate? Or do you find you just work from your imagination or perhaps recreating a project that you've done in the past on different software? I mean, personally, I've got like a backlog of stupid ideas that I want to realise. So <laughs> I've actually got like post-it notes like with stupid things written on stuck around my room. And I usually just kind of try and go for one of those if, if feasible. I mean, I think it's sometimes it, it, there is definitely value in like trying to unpick a shot or, or like trying to work out what someone's done. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, kind of copying it if you're, if, if that's your goal is to see how close you can get to it. But also I just find that if you do that at the end, you've just got something that is just a copy of someone else's work rather than creating something fresh that you can then share. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I see there's sort of two ways to learn. So you can go directly for a specific thing that you're looking. Let's say there's an explosion that you're after and then you just uh, Google YouTube or you or you go to a course and you learn that. Or you learn the basics of the tool and what can you do and then you just run off with it. So I, I kind of subscribe to the, to the latter, to the second option. And that's exactly how the courses that we have for content is based. Like the essential course or intermediate course is literally giving you a foundation of some kind of idea that is rather simplistic, but then you're expected to take it further and to interpret it further. 
So I'm going to ask you this question again later, Ollie, but from your in-person training experience in the London offices, what was the biggest takeaway? One of the takeaways, I guess, was how intuitive the software is. I kind of got that inkling through watching some of the videos, but it wasn't until I was kind of sitting down and going through the course that I was genuinely surprised at like how intuitive the the system is. And and like I say, you know, I have gone through... I, I, new software excites me, um, and, and I usually try stuff out that I'm interested in. So I try a lot of things out. I'm used to a lot of different navigational styles and all kinds of different methodologies. But this seemed a really logical and, in, and intuitive interface. And then, I mean, also in terms of progression, I guess, was I felt I'd actually learnt a remarkable amount, like uh, in, in that amount of time, considering like kind of what you walk in and walk out knowing and being able to do in, in the software is pretty cool for, for, for the amount of time you're, you're doing it. And um, I'd love to talk about the new online learning course that's available now. You've taken both courses. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach learning at home? Are there measures that you have to put in place to self-motivate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I do. I, I would schedule it in to my kind of calendar with the rest of the week and I'll just generally find that that's the best way to make sure things get done. I mean, the other thing to be really aware of, I think when you're doing like self-learning or especially courses, video courses, is your own attention span. You've got to know, like, there's no point in just like going into like hour four if your brain's like just dull. When I did the online lessons, I think I did half and then I had a play and then I kind of did did the other half and then, you know, kind of had another, had another mess around. I mean, obviously I was, I was kind of going through each steps in real time as well. But then having an extended kind of experiment um, in between was was a good way of doing it. And as a teacher, Armin, what have you found is the biggest difference between delivering training online versus in person? The good thing about doing things for online, you know that the person can always stop and rewind and come back and uh, just iterate until he's actually there. So your task then is to make sure that you mention every single thing you did and uh, hopefully cover the reasons for doing that. So that's why it's it's quite important to have, a, let's say, finished setup that you establish, well, this is more or less where we're headed. And well, this is where we're going to start. And this is the tools where we're going to use. And we are taking these steps because this is helping us. The only thing that I'd say is very different online and on location is dad jokes. You cannot you cannot add any any dad jokes when you're delivering <laughs> online training, and I'm a big fan of dad jokes. So yeah, that's the that's the main difference I'd say. And Armin, what do you find is the most difficult thing to explain to a student who's completely new to Notch? I I would say the foundations, getting around the idea of nodes connecting and intertwining. That's the most important. That's the hardest thing to to get around. So that's why. The first couple of hours of, let's say, online or on location training is very dry. It's like, let's get things right and then we can start playing around and being a bit silly and fun. I think maybe taking it to that next advanced level is potentially this idea of designing for real-time use and how that's different to other forms of design and, and, and workflow as well, because optimization plays a big part of that. Real-time motion graphics comes from the gaming industry. There, there are people employed for specifically that task to optimize textures, optimize models, optimize playback. So learning this in, in a matter of hours, it's quite impossible. It's a bit of an art form that you just sort of progressively get better at. So, Ollie, what have you found difficult to learn in Notch? I suppose 
getting your head around the right order of things. I think one thing that kind of confused me was actually the whole render layer system, just just as a kind of thing to mentally get past of like splitting stuff out. And it's just some of it is memory. It's just it's just remembering the right order of kind of putting things in in you know into the into the right slots in and um, also how the stacking effect um, can can take effect on things. Ollie, you have a very special opportunity right now um, as a thank you for coming on the podcast that you get to follow up on any question, any query, any thought that you have from the Notch Essentials course and ask Armin about it. Shots were fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if I can think of anything off, off the top of my head. Um, Although I probably did have, I probably did have something. Did I have something written down somewhere? Check the post-its. Probably. Check the post-its. <laughs> post-its. Oh yeah, there we go. What? I did. You know what? I did. I did write something down. Not, not, not on a, a post-it. Don't worry. Okay. Is it possible to add post effects to a separate particle node? Example. Um, so the glow to a point renderer, but not have the trails, but have the trails not glow. That's that's what I wrote down. <laughs> Yes, you can, but that would mean that you need two particle roots, obviously. Okay. You said two particle roots. Uh, roots. One is going to render layer, one is not. Uh, and then they can actually share the same effectors. So you add all the same effectors to both of the roots. Uh, they're co-shared. And then the only thing that is split, uh, it would be the renderers. One would be with the point render, another one with the trail render. Okay. I thought it had to do something with the render layer system, but like I said, I did find that a bit confusing. I think I tried using it and it did something funny, but I didn't understand that, yeah, you'd need you'd need two particle roots as well. That makes yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that was a bullet dodge. I was scared there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking of learning a new software? Well, I just mentioned that as a li- I'm a little bit biased because I'm actually doing, uh, I-, I am training people. Uh, so I can say that the way I learn things is I get the fundamentals and then I learn tools available in that software one by one. Let's say Notch offers clones, fields, particles, so and so forth. So I would experiment with every single one of them separately. And at some point, once I'm comfortable with them all separately, I would start mixing them. Do a lot of R&D if you have time and, and, and option for that, because that just pays off. If you explore something, you, you find fascinating things that you didn't anticipate. So experimenting, I guess, uh, creating responsibly and experimenting as much as possible. Uh, no one will teach you things that you can find on your own. And whatever you find on your own sticks with you much longer than any tutorial would. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of it is down to the amount of time you have. Um, I think doing, you know, doing the fundamentals of any new bit of software kind of goes without saying you, you've got to do that a bit. But then I would also add that depending on the time you have, and obviously depending on the software, some softwares, especially 3D softwares and things like Notch, um, you know, programs like Maya, whatever, they have huge amounts of disciplines within that, you know. There's like, I, I've, I don't do any character work, character rigging, character animation, nothing like that. That's just like one very niche bit of it. So I'd also kind of goes far to say, like, think about what you really want to do. What do you want to get out of that software? Because some of these softwares are just massive. You just won't have the time to master it all. So if particles really excite you, you know, make yourself a little personal project, watch some tutorials, and, and then make, you know, make something, make something that you like. Um, pick a subject that you like, because you, you're not going to learn something if you're trying to do something that you don't enjoy or that's, that's boring or you're copying a boring tutorial. And also, you know, I've watched enough tutorials off the internet on various things. If you don't gel with that particular 
voice that particular person. Like, don't try and struggle through and get to the end. Like, just just find another tutorial. There's like there's thousands of videos out there of like amazing educators. Yeah, I think I think you touched on a very good uh, two two hot uh, hot points there. Absolutely, you you have to be able to relate to a person that is teaching you something. If if that doesn't work out well, it's it's really hard to go through with this. So for anyone who would like to advance their learning past the essentials course, where can they go, Armin? Where, where can you carry on your learning experience? Essentials is online. And once you're done with Essentials, I'm very pleased to say that we're uh, almost done with setting up and editing out uh, Content Intermediate course, will, which will be available on the very same platforms. More details to come on that. Uh, just uh, follow the space, follow Notch, and you will see more about that. There is uh, a great uh, community on Facebook. If you have specific questions, just uh, drop a question on Facebook Notch user group. There's Notch forums. There's a lot of information there. Alternatively, uh, videos. So communities making videos. We have some people in the community who are actually making their own tutorials, which I'm super fond of. And obviously, Notch is running its own YouTube channel where we have a ton of tutorials and ton of uh, short tips and, and streams. So I and my colleague Ryan, we are trying to expand on every single topic or every single tool set available in Notch. And we're doing streams like one hour long conversations about specifics of that one thing. So there are options uh, out there and there are different people doing things. Cool. And before someone begins learning Notch or taking the Notch Essentials course, what do they need to do it? a PC with a decent GPU and um, hopefully time. You have to have time and hopefully you have that. So, Well, guys, it's been really enjoyable to speak with you both. And I've learned loads. I've learned loads. And yeah, I'm really excited to see this whole new crop of Notch users that come from the online course. Do you guys have any brief top tip that you can give as a as a final hurrah use trichette trichette generator is be fitting every single design if you need to deliver a design use trichette <laughs> and if you want to wow your customer add some glow post effect done job's done <laughs> <laughs> thank you armin ollie yeah yeah i can do i can just second that i think that was actually one of your tips during the training wasn't it you said that uh if you've got a particle system you have to wear a glow it's law yeah it's a law <laughs> if it's, it's not a glowing, law it's not magical it's not magical yeah. it's not particle system yeah <laughs> okay guys thank you very much and we'll catch up soon thank you Kat. thank you for having Likewise, us thank you. thank you cheers bye You can check out the new Notch Essentials course by heading over to the Notch website, notch.one forward slash learn. Stay up to date with Ollie and Armin by following them on Instagram at ollie.benning and armin.works and share what you've been making in Notch using the hashtag madewithnotch. Let us know what you thought of today's episode over Twitter at notchvfx hashtag showcast. Next week's episode is packed with insider knowledge from video producer Travis Poe. We're going to be talking about his project at Happy Gardens in Dubai, which features six water screens and over 60 projectors. Thanks for listening and catch you next time.